Hey church, welcome to our brand new series called 70 Times 7. This is a series all about the exercise of forgiveness. And listen, this, this series, these next three weeks, this is going to be work. And I'm going to ask you to show up and put in the effort. When you came in today, you got one of these square cards with a line on it that asks you to write in the name of a person or an incident or maybe a date, something that God might be asking you to let go of, asking you to forgive. And what I'm asking you to do throughout these next three weeks is to show up and, and do the work of trying to release that to him, trying to forgive them, lift it on up to him and say, God, this is yours to deal with, no longer is it mine. Listen, anytime we talk about forgiveness, I know that there's a few different uh, kinds of people in the room. Some of you, when you deal with forgiveness, you're the can'ts. Listen, I, I know that I, I ought to, I'm supposed to, Jesus would want me to, but I, I just can't forgive them. I can't muster up the energy. I can't muster up the strength to go ahead, the, the courage to forgive them. I can't. A, a second group is the won'ts. I won't forgive them. Because of what they did to me, I won't give them the satisfaction they haven't deserved the right to be let off the hook for what they did to me. The can'ts, the won'ts. And then there's some of you who have tried like, honestly, you've tried. You've done the best that you possibly can to forgive some, to release them on up to God. But something happens. Something brings you right back to that place where the memories come flooding back to you and you're in that moment. And you realize that you haven't really forgiven them for that thing at all. And so what I'm asking you today, can'ts and won'ts and tries is to write that name down and to offer that up to God and say, God, I need you to help me. And your church right now is coming alongside of you and showing you how to do that. Let me tell you a little bit about how, how just incredibly powerful um, this concept of forgiveness and also, also withholding forgiveness, withholding those offenses can possibly become. This is about uh, maybe almost two years ago now I shared a story with you as a church and it was really, honestly, it was, it was kind of a confessional as much as it was a story because I confessed to you what kind of, of person I am, your pastor is. Regrettably so. I was driving down uh, 196 and the highway merged from two lanes into one because of some construction that took place. And, and I, just being a law-abiding, rule-following citizen of this great state of Michigan, I was doing what our Michigan Department of Transportation, MDOT, officials have asked us citizens to do, which was to drive on up ahead to where the traffic was and to merge in as the construction started and the lanes went from two to one. It's something called the, the zipper merge for those of you who, uh, who aren't familiar with it, it's very, very controversial. And I knew it when I was saying, but I confess that in the moment, I was, I am a zipper merge kind of person. And I shared with you the story that I was zipper merging and, and some guy didn't really get the, uh, the M dot memo of how I'm just trying to be a good law-abiding rule-following citizen. And, and he wasn't going to let me in. And so I kind of drive in this five-mile-an-hour game of chicken with him, and I'm just like getting closer and closer and like, like inching near and near to, to his vehicle. And he wasn't moving over and he wasn't speeding up or slowing down, just staying right next to me, letting me know he's not gonna let me in. But I had, I have a secret weapon. Remember that? 
I have a secret weapon. My secret weapon is I drive a 10-plus-year-old car with almost 200,000 miles on it. It's totally paid off, and I care very little about it. Meanwhile, this guy drives a brand-new Ford F-250 crew cab that it looks like he waxes and washes every single weekend. He could just drive over my car. That's true. I'll give him that. But I don't think he wants even to to leave a smudge on his giant car-sized tires that are rolling next to me. So I just confidently pull, pull right in, and he does what truck guys do. He stopped, and he let me in because he cares just a whole lot more. But listen, I shared that story. And it's probably true that you guys, you might remember the story, but you have no idea what the point of that story was or no idea what the point of that entire message or series was even about. You just, you heard that story and what you did is you went over and said, oh, Dirk, oh yeah, he's, uh, he's one of those zipper merge guys. You know, and, and you took your offense that you had from somebody else who maybe did that or maybe they drove right into you, like, I don't know, and you just kind of like tucked that away. You just like held on to that offense. And it wasn't much. It's a little thing. You know, you maybe sent me an email. Some of you sent me some, some studies of zipper merging. Others of you sent uh, some op-ed articles. So thank you for the ongoing dialogue about that. But there's like this little micro, tiny little bit of offense that you picked up as a result of that. And it isn't much, and so you don't think much about it until something happens, and another one comes along, and another one comes along. And I'm going to tell you, at some point, like, the year 2020 comes along, and offenses seem to come out of the woodwork. And we have a lot to be offended about, don't we? I had no idea how offensive... A little bit of paper over your face could possibly be. Whether you're a single mask person or a double mask person, or you're a mask person under the nose, over the mouth. Like you look at somebody in, in the grocery store and you make a snap judgment about that person. And, and even though you don't know them and probably will never see them again, there's a little bit of piece of that offense that's around you. You just can't but help to go ahead and pick up. And to carry around with you. And then 2020 also had politics. (laughs) And I'm not not even going to say anything else about politics. Other than to say, saying nothing about politics is also a political statement in itself. So there's some offense that we tend to carry around with us. The offense is all around us. And we just can't help but go ahead and pick it up when we see it. And to hold on to it. And it's big stuff. It's little stuff too, right? It's little, it's little stuff like, like Venmoing somebody. You know, going all in on the birthday present together. Except for the group gives the birthday present and you happen to notice the card. And your name didn't get put on the card. So now you just look like the stingy one of the friend. And you look at the person who wrote the card and you just carry that offense around with you. Or you're out with a group of friends and there's... Mozzarella sticks for the table, for sharing. And somebody leans over and they take the last one without even asking you about it. And it's just a little bit more offense that you carry every single day. And this is the truth. This is what I want to share with you today in kicking off the 70 times 7 series. Is that offense is the gateway to unforgiveness. Is that when we carry these little offenses around with us every place that we go, 
all the time. It's like we're nurturing the seeds of unforgiveness in our hearts. Sometimes they're little, they're micro, they're carrying them around one by one. Other times they weigh a little more. In his book, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, where a lot of the content for this series is going to come, Lewis Smedes tells a, tells a story. He's listening to a, a call-in radio show, and the topic of the day is forgiveness. And he said, a, a woman calls into the radio show, and she says, forgiveness. <laughs> Let me tell you what that word means to me. Four months ago, my neighbors got in a huge argument There was alcohol involved. He was drinking. He's so mad at his wife, he takes her car to try to get back at her, slams on the gas, tears down the street, not knowing, not knowing that there was a little boy, four years old, playing in the yard. He hits my boy and leaves him dead. He tears off. Forgiveness? I would rather he burn in hell. Smeed's listening to the radio call-in program. He said, I was never more struck with a remarkable sense of awe at a mother's fury. Who could blame her? Who could blame her? Listen, this offense that we carry around with us, it gets out, it goes place, and it needs to be dealt with. Whether you realize it's exuding out of you and it's leaking out of you and spilling over to the people around you and to your children or whether you don't quite realize that yet it's around and it's happening and it needs to be dealt with. So let's, let's deal with it. Let's go in the Bible. Let's hear about how Jesus is asking us to deal with it. And Jesus is going to do that by going to, to probably my favorite character in the Bible. His name is, is Peter. And whether you've been following Jesus, listen, like your whole life, or whether you're brand new at this Jesus thing, or or you're just just checking it out, like Peter's your guy. Like like Peter's the one for you. Peter's the guy who's always the first one to to jump on board or to to abandon ship, right? This is Peter. Peter is the one who's like, he always says out loud what everybody else is thinking. So you got to love Peter. Peter is... Peter's at a couple weeks ago, it was Good Friday and it's Easter, right? And so just like, it struck me, it hit me, that Peter is the guy that on the night that Jesus is betrayed, they go to a garden because Jesus wants to pray. It's Jesus' favorite place in the world to pray. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he's gathered up with his disciples and as he goes into that, that time of prayer, some soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Peter is the guy who cuts off the guy's ear. But what I never realized before is Peter is the guy who brings a knife to a prayer meeting. (laughs) That's Peter. Peter's everybody's favorite. And if he's not your favorite, I hope he's your favorite after today. But there's this interaction because Peter is also the guy who always says exactly what he's thinking. Peter asks a question in Matthew. A biographer of Jesus' life, Matthew, records in Matthew 18, verse 21, it says that Peter, one time, he came to Jesus and he asked Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Now, I just, I love this about Peter because he asked the question that's like on everybody's mind. When you think about sinning, you usually think about it in terms of like this hyper-spiritual, like this religious kind of thing. 
Well, like, no, no, we sin right against God. Sin is a, is a vertical term. Sin is a, sin is a religious, it's a spiritual term. But Peter goes, no, no, what about the people who sin against me? What about the people who, whose offenses I pick up and carry around? What about, what about those? What I love about Peter is he gets the nature of sin. That, that sin, as it's used here, the word that's used is a word that means to miss the mark or to fail to measure up. Let me ask you, you, you ever have somebody in your life who failed to measure up? I mean, you, you, you have somebody in, in your life who didn't follow through on the thing that they said they were going to follow through on? Somebody who said that, that while you're away, while you're at work, they're going to pick up the house, and then they never got around to picking out the house. And maybe you said something, maybe you didn't, but you're carrying, you're carrying it around. You got somebody in your life, maybe a boss, who failed to give you the promotion even though you had earned it, even though you were next in line, even though you were the most qualified person for it. And you carry that offense around. Somebody that, somebody that doesn't follow through what they said. He said he would give me next weekend off because I worked a double last weekend, yet I'm scheduled for three weekends now in a row, and I can't help but carry that offense around with me. I thought we were supposed to be together. I thought he was the one. I thought she was the one. And instead of this ending in wedding bells, it ended with, uh, I think we should see other people. They didn't follow through on what they were supposed to be doing. Sin is missing the mark, failing to measure up. And Peter asked the question, listen, how many, how many times should we forgive? And he asked a good question. He offers a solution. What should it be? Should it be up to seven times? And now it's a generous thing, right? When he asked seven times, because in the culture of the day, the, the Jewish tradition was expected to be three times. Three times you should offer forgiveness. This came, this came from this, this passage, uh, kind of obscure. Uh, the book of Amos in the Bible, chapter 1, Old Testament. God has this like recurring, almost poetic um, phrase where he's, he's citing the sins against him. And he said, how many times am I going to forgive? Up to three times? No, even four. And they said, well, four times is for God to forgive, but three times is the one for each one of us to forgive. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer forgiveness up until, up until that fourth time. And then, I mean, listen, I'm carrying that around. That's going to be mine now. That's the fence that I'm going to carry around. And so, so Peter, knowing that his rabbi, his master, is just a little extra generous, a little extra compassionate, says, I think, well, you know, what do you think, Jesus? What, what about seven times? And what Peter doesn't understand is that his rabbi and our Lord Jesus is not just a little extra compassionate, he's endlessly compassionate. And there's a big difference between being extra compassionate and being endlessly compassionate, especially when you're on the receiving end of it. And so Peter says up to seven times, and Jesus answered him, no, no, no. I tell you, not seven times, 77 times. Or maybe some translations say 70 times 7 times. 490 times or, or, or 77 times. Like, like whatever, whatever your number is. 
Jesus, what he wants to get the point across to Peter is a couple of things. He's endlessly compassionate, for starters. And also, as long as you're looking down on somebody else, you really can't look up at Jesus. You can't look up at God above you when you're looking down on everybody else. C.S. Lewis said that. But 490 times, 77 times, it doesn't really matter. Because Jesus doesn't even give a timeline to it, right? He doesn't say stuff like, you know, 490 times, Per year, you know, January 1 resets the whole cycle over again. He doesn't say 77 times every single day. You just get the sense from his response. It's he's endlessly, endlessly compassionate again and again. But whatever it is, daily, 77 times, 490 times a day. You know, the number, the number doesn't so, so much matter. Because I think Jesus would have a different answer for you. A different number for you to keep in mind. And it's not 77. It's not 490. The number he has in mind for you is one. Are you going to forgive that one person who did that one thing to you? Who hurt you in the one way? The one name that you have written on the card in front of you Are you going to forgive just that one? And I think think Jesus knows that his point isn't going to land all that well. Like like Peter isn't going to quite catch the difference, the infinite difference between being extra compassionate and being endlessly compassionate. And so Jesus, he tells him a story. The story that he shares is verse 23. Therefore, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold, y'all. That, that's, that's a lot of bags of gold. It's a, it's a joke amount, almost. I mean, you get like gold, start to convert that, value per ounce you know you start to look at like what the roman historians would have pegged at like what you could get for a cost of an ounce of gold versus maybe what you can get for an ounce of gold today you start to multiply that by by a bag which was actually a technical amount it doesn't it sounds like kind of a rough estimate they didn't rough estimate they didn't rough estimate the amount of gold no 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 they had an amount. It was called a talent of gold, but that's kind of confusing. So they said here, a bag. But, but it was a specific amount. It was 80 pounds was a bag of gold. That's a lot of ounces of gold. And then 10,000 of those things, if you put together 10,000 80-pound bags of whatever you could buy, however much gold was worth in those times, what you would get to convert that into today's real dollar amount value is right around, one biblical commentator said, a million zillion. <laughs> It's a joke amount. It's like, it's like how, how much gold did this guy owe? I don't know. All of it. All of the gold. That was more gold than what was in the entire Roman budget for a year. It's possible that this was represented, this debt represented more gold than what was in circulation in the Roman Empire at the time. It's a joke amount. Jesus is driving home a very important spiritual truth here. 
He picks gold because gold is the most valuable substance on earth at the time. He picks a bag, a talent, because that's the highest, that's the biggest measure of gold that they had available to them at the time. And he picks 10,000 because that is the Greek numeral, that's the highest rank of entire Greek numeral system at the time. So he just picks like the three biggest, the biggest number, the biggest unit, and the biggest, most valuable resource and smashes all of those things together. That's what Jesus wants to impress you with. He's talking about not just a lot. He's talking about all of it right here. Verse 25. And since he was not able to pay, shocking, right? He can't pay. He can't come up with the entire amount, the master ordered that he and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And and the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees before him. Be, Be patient with me, he said. Be patient, and I will pay back everything. Pay back everything? Pay back everything? Come on. Come on, an average daily wage that this guy could have come up with, it would have taken him 2,500 years just to pay off the principal, let alone any interest that would have accrued along that time. Pay back everything. You've got to be kidding me. Verse 27, the, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. You know, it's at this moment that, like everybody in the boardroom, either is expecting the boss to laugh this guy out of the room or to get angry and to start yelling at him what they didn't expect is the old man at the end of the table to just say, you know what? I hear you. You're never going to be able to pay that back. So why don't, why don't I pay that for you? You see, that's an important truth about forgiveness, is that forgiveness is not forgetting. This guy had dug himself into a hole, into a debt that needed to be paid for. And, and the old man at the end of the boardroom table, he doesn't just ignore it so that it'll go away. No, no, no. A, an offense had taken place. A debt had been accrued. Somebody was now on the hook to pay for it. Because this man, how he treated the old man at the end of the table, how he treated him was with disrespect, was with disobedience, was with dishonor. That's what we have done to God. We have treated God with disrespect, with disobedience, with dishonor. And when we drag God's name through the mud like that, listen, it just, it has to be paid for. Like we gotta somehow make it back up to him. Otherwise, he has to be the one to step in and to do that on our behalf. And like, listen, that's the gospel, isn't it? That's what we celebrate on Easter and Good Friday a couple weeks ago. I mean, that's like the whole thing in a nutshell. The gospel is that God doesn't just overlook it and just forget it ever happened. That's cheap. No, but instead, God pays for it with the cost of his own son on the cross. The offense had to be paid for. It's just not by us. That's grace. That's, That's where our hope is, that God paid for it, not us. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, but <laughs> it also tells us something about Jesus' view of salvation, doesn't it? Like the indebtedness that we've had. I mean, I mean you don't have to be like a rocket scientist in the story. You don't, you don't have to be a, 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 
expert biblical theologian to realize in the story that, that the master in the story, the old man in the story, is God. That the debtor in the story is obviously each one of us, it's you and I, and we have a massive amount. How much? A million zillion amount. The biggest unit of measure, the biggest quantity available, and the highest resource value available at the time. All of these smashed all together is our debt. What Jesus is is putting on the listener, each one of us, is saying, that's how great our debt is. When you think about this, like a debt, how many red numbers across the stream light up, that's a lot. When you think about this as a chasm, Jesus is saying, that's how big the gap is from where we are to where God is. That's how big my cross really, really, truly is. It's a big gap. And it requires a big sacrifice to fill that in. And the story could end there. Honestly, if I'm telling it, I think the story probably should have ended there. But Jesus doesn't end his story there. Jesus continues on. And he says in verse 28, But... But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servant who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and he began to choke him and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Does that sound, does that sound familiar? Be, be patient and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off the debt. You know how much that was? It's like 50 bucks. The guy was just forgiven a million zillion on his account. And he sees the guy who owes him 50 bucks and he chokes him and he has him thrown into jail and says, pay back every last penny. And until you do, I'm hanging on to that, keeping that right close to my chest, holding on to that offense. Verse 31. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went around and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in and said, you, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours. And you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus kind of looks at each one of his listeners in the eye and he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you. Six terrifying letters. Unless, unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. That's a harsh word. It's pretty clear though, isn't it? It's pretty clear and it's pretty harsh that what God is saying is, listen, it's just how it works. I'm going to forgive you as you forgive one another. Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive one another. Jesus here says, that's how my Father will treat you unless you forgive 
a brother or sister from your heart. Listen, as long as you're carrying this thing around, God's going to hold you, God's going to hold it against you too. Listen, I'm looking at this thing going, I thought Jesus, I thought God was endlessly compassionate. Like, like what's that, what's that all about? If I had to, if I had to restate this entire story in another way, the way that I restate it is simply this. What kind of world do you want to live in? That's what, that's what Jesus is asking. I think with his elaborate story, with his made-up truths, right, to drive the, the point home, that's what Jesus is asking really truly. What kind of world do you want to live in? Jesus, he's highlighting something, a, a principle that I think is important. He's highlighting what I've learned to, to call the unity, the principle of the unity of spiritual direction. Sometimes it's called um, unity of spiritual orientation. It simply says this, like you're one person, you and I, we're, we're one whole spiritual being. That, that we can't like divide ourselves up and, and compartmentalize ourselves and say, well, I'm going to accept you know, this and this grace o- over here, but then at the same time, I'm going to act a different way over here. Unity of spiritual direction just simply says that, listen, you're one being. You're, you're, you're going into one direction. And how you treat like other people, the offenses that you carry in treating other people, I mean, that's, that's no different than how you receive from God. Like how you treat the people around you betrays what you really think of the God above you. It's all one and the same. And if you can't help but hang on to this stuff of the people around you, it's also more than likely true that you can't help but let yourself keep yourself on the hook for your offenses to God. It's not that he wouldn't forgive you. It's that you wouldn't accept the forgiveness that he's offering you. So in the story, the guy comes in and, and, and from your and my maybe vantage point, it, it might look like God is like reaching down into the waste paper basket and like ironing out that debt and saying, here, I'm calling it in. And you're thinking, what? I thought you forgave me for it. But actually, it's, it's God saying, listen, like, like here's the debt. I'm going to throw that away. I'm going to cast that aside. This is what my world is like. This is what my kingdom is like. Would you join me in my kingdom? And the guy in the story, and far too many of us today, we say, you know what? If that's what it's like, if I have to choose between my offenses and your grace, you can keep your kingdom. I'm going to have it my way. And he just walks right on out. And God gives him that. God gives him that. Just what kind of, what kind of world do you want to live in? That, that's the question that I'm asking you today. Because there's a fence all around us that can be picked up. But it can also be put down. Offenses can be picked up and they can be put down. That's an important truth that we have to remember. There's offenses all around. You don't have to pick them up. Somebody told me that one time. And listen, it just, it changed how I think. These offenses all around us, right? That most of the time we let them, that we let them go right on by. We see them around and we know, 
We're wise enough not to engage, smart enough not to pick those up and to carry them around with us. But listen, something happens and we're caught at a low point or at a high stress moment, you know. Boss made us stay late at work, so there's a little bit of that going on. At the same time, like driving home, somebody cuts in front of you and so there's a little bit of that going on. Going to the grocery store, stopping on the way home, and somebody jumps into your like self-checkout aisle, and they're so remarkably slow, and so there's a little offense that we kind of carry and, and, and hang on to that, and then you try to go for the gym to get a little exercise, because that's like good for stress relief, and somebody's sitting on your machine while you got up to go refill your water bottle, and then you came back, and they're just scrolling through Instagram, and so you just carry that offense along with you. And you just keep on, keep on going through life, and you're like, wait a second, you're going to the gym in a pandemic? Come on now. And then you go online, and you see that your aunt can't help but tweet about something political, and she doesn't have the same views as you, and so you're carrying that stuff around. And pretty soon, you're carrying around what honestly feels like a million zillion pounds worth of offenses every single place that you go. And you are so remarkably weighed down by all of this this stuff that you're holding on to you can't get you can't get on an airport you can't get through a metal detector with all this stuff listen how are you going to ever how are you going to ever be used by god while you carry this around and it's so much it just makes you just want to sit down with it all doesn't it like i don't want to let it go i need to hold on to it that much i know for sure but you get comfortable with it. And the offense grows into unforgiveness. And this now defines your life. I mean, it's just a sad picture, isn't it? Especially when Jesus said that there's another way to live. There's another kingdom that you could come into. A kingdom where you take all of your anxieties and all of your fears, all of your cares, and you can cast those on him one at a time. I love the biblical word there from 1 Peter, to cast them onto him. It's to throw them like a fishing term. Cast it way out into the deep water. Or you'll never have to see it or worry about it again. Because it's God's responsibility now. And as you cast that out there, what you get back is nothing short of life. I want to go back to that radio call-in program that Smeed's shared us with earlier after the woman calls in and says, forgiveness, I'd rather he burn in hell. Another woman calls in about 15 minutes later in the same show and says, I just, I can't help but address your previous caller because something so remarkably similar happened in, in my own life. And it's, it's now been four years, but it was a, a driver of a truck, a big rig, was, was driving in front of my yard, and, and honestly, too, too close. My kid was playing out by the road, and a piece of the truck 
picked him up and, and dragged him for 50 yards. And that, that's how my also four-year-old son died. I mean, just for years, she said, it, it gnawed at me and ate away at me. And then she had this realization. She found this truth that she had never really known before how powerful hate could make a person feel. That hate had become her inner heat. Its flames refueled each time a lumbering truck rumbled past her house. Every day that dawned, she ordered the great avenger in the sky to stomp his heel on this worm. Hate was her only strength. And for a while, hate was her only strength. But then hate turned against her. And it began to choke her. After two years of captivity to her hate, she woke up to the fact that the man who killed her son was now killing her. And she was giving him permission. How could she, what could she do to now reclaim her life? Her immediate impulse was, I should probably go see a a therapist or a counselor, but she said, not yet. She went to go see uh, her her priest. And uh, the good father, as Smeed says, uh, his instinct was to say to the woman, forgiveness is your key, right? Forgiveness is is how you experience that that freedom. But but he bit his tongue. He didn't go there. Not, Not yet. And I love this element of forgiveness because remember, forgiveness is not forgetting. So the priest says the first step, the first thing that you need to do is to start a chapter of Mothers Against Drunk Driving mad because your community in the world needs to know that you are mad as a hornet about what had happened to you and that you're going to do something about it. The death of your son will not go unnoticed and will make a difference in this world. And that's exactly what she did. And she writes about this process of grieving and of sharing and of making a difference. And and she said, lo and behold, she started to turn that offense over to God and said, I'm not going to be responsible for it anymore. I will never forget what had happened. But she said, I found a way to back my life into his grace into forgiveness church to some degree or another you have got someone to forgive don't go on carrying that offense with you it'll take your life away from you a little at a time Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the full. And that starts today with casting off some of the offenses that you and I are carrying around. I invite you to stand up and let's let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we ask you, we ask you to show us what our next step of forgiveness might look like. To hand over, to cast over some of the offense that we're carrying around with us all the time. For some of us, Lord, it's just, it's way too much. 
And we can't even be around other people without being reminded of the, of the offenses that they have dealt some of us. God, this past year has just been so remarkably hard for so many of us. We, we can't see anything except offense and except unforgiveness. God, your world is so hurting and is so broken. May we be a light and a source of hope and joy and today, forgiveness as agents of you inside of it. God, as we all come together and sing praises to you. May we be found in your good grace.